Hey everyone, this is Annette Abner and welcome to Diaspora Talks. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 5 of Diaspora Talks. Um, in this episode, I speak to lawyer turned tech entrepreneur, Rashida Abdullahi. So Rashida left her role in a London city law firm last year to launch Strand Sahara, which services Africa-focused startups and SMEs. We talk about leaving her job in the city, some of the legal challenges faced by African startups and how she's incorporating tech into her business and also much, much more. So here goes. And I just felt that there is so much um, potential that that's being... Um, unrealized um, and untapped because of the lack of opportunity and resources um, on the continent and I really felt quite strongly that I have been given this gift of expertise Mm. um, and if I really want to make an impact with it then um, the people who I think would benefit the most or at least have the most need at the moment are not the large corporations who, you know, I, I'm, as soon as I left the firm, I'm pretty sure I was replaced very quickly. Right, right. right. There's no shortage of, um, <laughs> you know, corporate lawyers out there yeah. in the world to help the large corporations. But there really is a shortage when it yeah. comes to needs for the businesses who are not yet at that level, but absolutely have the potential to get there. Exactly. Well, my name is Rashida Abdullahi. I am a lawyer. And I'm also the founder and CEO of Strand Sahara, which is an online legal platform for Africa-focused startups and SMEs. Amazing. Thank you for being here, Rashida. Um, I think a lot of people that have heard of you have probably come across you from your speaking engagements so they know that you're an amazing speaker so I think a lot of people will be attracted to this podcast just because of that um but let's I wanted to delve into um what you are doing with Strand Sahara so you've said that you have started this um to focus on African startups and SMEs could you sort of unpack that and go into more detail absolutely um So I say Africa focused because I want to include within that definition, not just African SMEs, but also um, SMEs and startups that have been started by people in the diaspora around Mm. the world. So people in the UK as well, in the US, uh, you know, anywhere else in the world where they may be. Um, And then the third element is um, not necessarily the diaspora, but anyone who's doing something that's Africa focused. So they may have incorporated in the UK or the US or Japan or China, um, but their business is very much focused on the African market. Mm. So I'm trying to capture those groups of people because essentially I want to support businesses who are going to contribute to job creation and economic growth on the continent. Yeah, right. Sounds amazing. Um, So we could backtrack a little bit because Mm. you are a qualified lawyer. And from my understanding, you um, trained here in the UK and you're part of a global law firm in London. So what made you make that transition from uh, being a a solicitor in a very high profile law firm here in London to starting something um, that a lot of people would say um, would be. And also the market is very unfamiliar to a lot of people Mm. what made you make that transition in your career because I can imagine you were quite comfortable yeah it it certainly wasn't um, a decision I took lightly Um, Mm. I'll say that much but but yes I mean I I was called to the bar back in 2008 um, having studied law um, at King's College London knowing that I wanted to be an advocate um, quite Mm. you know quite sure about that from an early age um I knew that I liked um, advocating on behalf of other people Um, at school. That sort of manifested itself in things like um, the school's elections or um, being involved in in organisations that let let us really talk about our experiences and talk about people who, um, you know, how we can help others in society who are less fortunate. 
Um, right. So I remember thinking when I was quite young that oh, perhaps politics might be for me, either politics or the law. Um, but it's, it, it really was about being an advocate. So right. I went off to King's. Um, then after, after completing that degree, I really didn't know what area of law I wanted to practice in. I had thought that I'd be drawn to um, something around human rights or discrimination right, yeah. because of, you know, because of the, the background. Admiral, yeah. But actually, when I got involved with that university, it just wasn't me at all. And I think mm. that's when I started to realize I had more of a, an entrepreneurial side to me. I liked commerce. You know, I liked the mm. idea of creating things, um, creating jobs, um, making money those sorts of things. So I decided to do a master's and um, went off to America to do that. Um, I ended up doing it at NYU in New York and it was an amazing experience. Wow! And that's where I came across international arbitration as a form of uh, legal practice. Um, okay. And that really got me hooked. I loved the advocacy element of it. I loved that it was international. Um, I loved that it. it was a growing era of practice as well. So it was quite cutting edge. It was um, really sort of malleable and adaptable to any type of situation. Um, and that for those, sorry yeah, to cut you off sure. there, for those who aren't familiar mm. with what our international arbitration is, could you sort of give like a definition? Absolutely. International arbitration is a form of dispute resolution. So it's an alternative to going to court when right. something goes wrong between two businesses. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, it's used because um, often when you're dealing with glo the global economy, you'll have two businesses doing business with each other um, across borders. So it might be a UK business that's doing, uh, that's doing a project with the Nigerian government. Right. Um, so they're from two different jurisdictions. And the question is, okay, when we sign our contract, if there are any disputes under this contract, where do we resolve them? And of course, the Nigerian party is saying, well, we should go to the Nigerian courts. Mm. And, the UK and the British company is saying, <laughs> no, no, we must go to the UK courts. And so arbitration provides a really nice third, third way, really, for people who find themselves in that situation, where they can choose to have their dispute resolved in a neutral venue whether right. it's Switzerland or Paris or the Seychelles wherever they like um, by a panel of arbitrators that they choose um, so it, it's really a way of facilitating international business and it's growing of course with globalization right um, and it tends to I mean it's, it's prevalent all over the world but you see an awful lot of arbitration being used in the emerging markets so right. across Africa um, and other emerging markets in particular which interested me. Interesting so there are a few points that you um, raised I, I want to um, sort of pinpoint so firstly going back so mm -hmm. just to clarify you were called to the bar so does that make you a barrister? Yes okay. I actually knowing that I wanted to go into advocacy I, I chose to go down the barrister route um, but then what happened is that I started doing um, interviews for a role as a pupil barrister okay. and found that I didn't, I wasn't quite, I don't think my personality was suited for that right. sort of okay. role. Yeah. You know, I found myself walking into these, you know, wood cladded, very dark buildings. And then, you know, you go down to the second level basement and that would be my little room. And, right. you know, there was a, a very noisy photocopier in the corner that I would have to hit to make work. I, I mean, I'm probably very exaggerating. Yeah. But, you know, this was, a, this was a while ago. It was my yeah. first, really, um, my first exposure to, to that kind of life. And I just felt, mm, I want an international career. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not sure that this is for me. And quite luckily, at that time, um, a number of city firms were actually trying to, I think, bump up their numbers of trainees mm -hmm. um, for their, their next intakes. And um, so uh, Lovell, as it was at the time, right. was one of the firms that um, advertised within our bar school the fact that they were looking for people to join their next cohort. Got it. Okay. Um, so I decided to go and do an interview with them. 
and was just wowed you know I walk into the the building it was absolutely amazing yeah (laughs) you know (laughs) they um... really get you with the nice the nice (laughs) offices oh they do they do (laughs) and you know I just can't I can't fault them in in terms of the training they provide the the financial support all of it it's it's you know it really is amazing what they do for young people you know wanting to get into into the law and Mm. you know I told them look I went to the bar because I want to be an advocate. I'm only interested in international arbitration. That's what I want to do. Right. I'm not going back to law school. So, you know, I'm, if, I'm not going to do the LPC or whatever, right. you know, whatever it is now. And they were really open to that. You know, right. they said, look, it's fine. Um, our international arbitration practice is really strong. Um, we really want to build it up, you know, join us. And so that is where I started my career. I then had to do the lawyer's qualifying test to cross-qualify right. as a solicitor. Right. Um, and, yes, yeah, started uh, my life as a lawyer at Hogan Levels, Amazing. as it is now. Okay, yes. great. So just to even pinpoint again, for those who mm. don't know, in here in the UK, um, there's two types of lawyers. So there's solicitor and a barrister. So you made that crossover from yeah. being a barrister to a solicitor. Okay, amazing. Exactly. Cool. And I, I think what I've um, noted from what you just spoke about in terms of your background, you didn't have a traditional route into what you're doing, which I think is amazing. And another thing is that you sort of knew what you wanted. And when you went into certain things, and you felt it wasn't for you, you kind of paid your own way. So I think that sounds great. And um, I think a lot of people would li- like to hear that, especially when they're early in their career and they're quite confused. Yeah, it is good to know. I mean, you might have a plan. I certainly had a plan and, Mm. you know, things didn't quite go to plan. So being flexible and being able to keep an open mind and just keeping an eye out for opportunities that might be, you know, better suited for Mm -hmm. you. You know, if you've not been exposed to things and you don't really know. Right. I I hadn't really looked into the the life of a solicitor in international arbitration practice. All I had in my mind was, oh, gosh, I don't want to be in an an office all day pushing paper. I want to be an advocate. Um, And I hadn't appreciated that that was possible, that you could become a solicitor advocate, that you could get involved in arbitration, which doesn't require you to have higher rights of audience, which is what barristers have in this country to enable them to represent Mm. people in court. Um, So, yes, keeping an open mind um, and being alive to different opportunities um, and not sort of turning things down out of hand is, is definitely something I would recommend. Um, and also, as you said, just being in tune with yourself and mm. knowing when something feels right or doesn't feel right, because, you know, more often than not, your your gut feeling is, is, is actually correct. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. OK, cool. So, OK, so great. So you you said you were, you were interested in inter- international arbitration mm. and you also mentioned it's a growing um, field of law, especially across emerging markets and specifically Africa. Um, but I can imagine the clients that you were serving, servicing um, at um, Hogan Levels and within in London is completely different from what, who you're servicing in um, whilst you're doing Strand Sahara. So what specifically was your, were your motivations for servicing mm. African startups and African SMEs as opposed to what you were doing before? Um, well, I had spent... I mean, before leaving Hogan Lovells, which was last year, mm-hmm. you know, I'd been there for, um, well, coming up to 10 years and, um, you know, had a great career. Um, but yes, as you can imagine, my clients were predominantly large corporates. Right. Um, who often had operations on the continent, but were headquartered elsewhere in the world. Um, and they're doing, you know, they're doing very well often the disputes that I was handling for them were worth, you know, millions, um, if not billions of, of US dollars. Um, they're, they're operating at a level of wealth that most businesses can only dream of. Mm. Um, but what I realise, I think, is, is that I have, over the years, developed a lot of um, a bank of skill, skills and expertise um, that a lot of businesses can't afford um, to access. Right. And one of the things that I really loved about my job was that um, it involved a lot of travel um, for hearings, to interview witnesses, all of that sort of stuff. And so I was fortunate enough to be on the continent quite a bit. Um, and I just saw the huge 
potential. Um, you know, I would meet people who were incredibly talented. Um, and, you know, if their circumstances were slightly different, you know, if I picked that person up and dropped them into London, right. they would be soaring. You know? right. yeah. The opportunities that they would have, they would grab with two hands and they'd do really well. And I just felt that there is so much um, potential that, that's being um, unrealized um, and untapped because of the lack of opportunity and resources um, on the continent. And I really felt quite strongly that, I have been given this gift of expertise. Mm. Um, and if I really want to make an impact with it, then um, the people who I think would benefit the most or at least have the most need at the moment are not the large corporations who, you know, I, I'm, as soon as I left the firm, I'm pretty <laughs> sure I was replaced very quickly. Right. 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 There's no shortage of um, you know, corporate lawyers out there yeah. in the world to help the large corporations. But there really is a shortage when it yeah. comes to needs for the businesses who are not yet at that level but absolutely have the potential to get there. Exactly. So I wanted to try and do what I could to you know, help create more African um, global corporations, you know, African brands, right. um, so that the people who look like me on the continent have mm-hmm. more opportunities. Got it. That makes perfect sense. And um, I guess this this will come from a personal motivation as well, because you're you were Nigerian, from my understanding, or is that is that correct? A lot of people think this. Really, I, I'm very happy to let it slide. <laughs> I think it's because of your name. <laughs> Absolutely. No, I. I'm actually, I am a Niger wife, as okay. my, as my um, people tell me. My husband is Nigerian. Okay. And, um, and through work, I've spent a lot of time in Nigeria. Um, I have a lot of Nigerian friends. Mm-hmm. I, I remember at university being, it was a, at university, it was the first time actually that I met, um, um, you know, Nigerian people. It's crazy. Okay. I've lived in the UK all this time, but... I just hadn't for whatever reason. And I was just struck by the confidence and pride <laughs> in the culture yeah. and the dress. And I thought, wow, okay, yes, I want some of that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, myself, I was born in the UK. My mm-hmm. mother is from Barbados okay. in the Caribbean. And my dad is from Sierra Leone in West Africa. Okay, okay. So they, yes, um, they um, set up family in London and so I was born here and, and raised here in the UK okay great well of course there's I guess there's still a personal element there no um, absolutely there is yeah 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 <laughs> wanted to tap into specifically um your clientele and what they're like so you Mm. said that um you work with african startups and african smes um who are they specifically what kind of businesses are you servicing at the moment and also what have you found are the challenges that you face working with a different clientele and equally the benefits okay um Well, the first challenge that became immediately apparent when I decided I was going to do this was that I really had no inkling of um, the level of legal knowledge um, um, within the smaller businesses. Um, You know, I remember going off to Nigeria with you know, my, my handouts, my seminars, my workshops to <laughs> yeah. go and talk to people and say, right, this is what I'm going to offer. What do you think? And I remember just getting lots of <laughs> blank stares back at me, like, sorry, contract management, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, right, okay. <laughs> um, well, I'm not pitching things at the right level at all, um, which of course is right. You know, I'm talking about, I'm working with people now who don't have in-house lawyers predominantly, you know, they don't have an in-house legal team to help them. They're doing everything on their own pretty much, um, you know, the business owners. Um, and so actually making sure that I had an offering that spoke to them and actually really um, delivered on the needs that they, that they genuinely had uh-huh. was quite a challenge, but, an enjoyable challenge you know it meant talking to people it meant traveling it Mm. meant 
presenting multiple times to see what eventually landed, what resonated with people. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was fun. But yes, the type of businesses that I I see now, they're really varied. Um, Of course, you have your tech startups, which is really, really exciting. exciting. Yes. And it's great to see them. Um, um, I I will shout out some people now. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. (laughs) Mybasket.ng which is a great um, um, business uh, which provides a grocery comparison um, service on their website. Wow. Yes, so you can, on the website, look at um, how much your basket of groceries will cost in the different shops within um, Lagos. So, you know, you can see where Indomie is most expensive or, you know, whatever it is you're looking for, Mm -hmm. you get an up-to-date view on on what would be where would be the best place for you to do your shopping um which is you know it's a brilliant idea yeah um and it's it's great to see such great um you know entrepreneurs going out and solving problems that they face themselves right right definitely um one more example um which is not a tech startup more of a traditional type business tempo housing nigeria tempo housing nigeria Tempo Housing Nigeria Mm -hmm. and this is a business that um, is actually uh, almost 10 years old so it's quite established and um, has been doing really well they build um, all sorts of types of um, properties using used shipping containers right I've heard of something like uh, this okay well it's incredibly innovative and it means that buildings can go up in a fraction of the time Mm. and at a fraction of the cost that it takes um to build traditionally um and so you know you're we're seeing their buildings being used for student accommodation for you know outbuildings for um ATM um to house ATMs um, wow. all across, not not just Lagos, but Nigeria generally, um, and business. So so the, it really varies from new startups in the tech space mm-hmm. to more traditional type businesses that have been operating for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing that's common for, amongst all of them is that you know there is a need for legal support and getting the right expertise at the right time and at the right price um, is challenging. And right. so that's, those are the things that we're trying to address with our platform at Sahara. Great. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, one thing I noted is um, that, so I guess, are you currently only in Nigeria at the moment, in Lagos? So at the moment, we've, we're yet to launch the platform. Okay. Um, a lot of the, the work that I've been doing is around making sure that that what we put out there is what people need. Right. Um, I've been working with people offline, if you like, using yeah. the same tools um, um, and products and services that will be available on the platform to make sure that they're actually delivering the right solutions for people. Yeah, of um, So it's been a lot of what I call user testing. I have yeah. no idea whether that's really what it's called. <laughs> it, <laughs> but exactly, it makes sense yeah, to me. It makes sense, yeah. <laughs> Um, and I've done that predominantly in the UK and Nigeria because um, at the moment, those are um, the first markets that we're going to make the platform available to. Mm-hmm. Um, but the plan is very quickly to expand that to Ghana, Kenya, and Uganda, mm-hmm. um, and then expand further once we've, um, once we've made sure that we've got the right solutions for those markets. Yeah. Just really taking it, um, you know, a market at a time just to make sure that, that we're actually hitting the spot and giving people what they need. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And during your sort of user testing phase, what are the specific sort of like pain points that you're finding these businesses are having? So what are the, the specific type of legal needs that they are commonly needing, if that makes sense? Yeah, it does. They, uh, in a lot of cases, people don't really know what they don't know. Right. They know that, that actually there are certain legal issues that they need to get across and that they need to have in place for the business. But 
they're not really sure where they are and don't really know how to go about finding out what they are. Mm-hmm. They're hesitant to use a lawyer, to, to, you know, to, to ask a lawyer um, because they have a concern that, that lawyers um, you know, aren't great value for money, mm-hmm. they can't afford it, they probably don't really need it if they just focus on making money. Um, they complain about the time things take, so when they have requested legal um, assistance with something, um, they've complained that they have to keep chasing for their work and you know, they're not quite confident about um, getting what they need um, within a, a reasonable period of time. Um, and the last thing is that they, they complain about the fact that it's not easy to find out you know, which lawyers have the right expertise for whatever it is that they need. Um, in particular, a lot of the tech businesses were complaining that they want to attract, they want to go after funding from the likes right. of venture capital firms or, you know, private equity firms. Yeah. And they, you know, they're being asked about things like ta- uh, term sheets and cap tables and they right. don't know, you know, they're, they're looking for a lawyer, but they <laughs> can't find one with the right expertise, you know, that's within their budget. Mm-hmm. So they complain about a lack of access- accessibility. Um, you know, I, I don't know how to find the right person. Mm-hmm. Um, so those seem to be the common things, you know, not knowing what they, what sort of legal help they need in the first place, mm-hmm. um, being reticent to use lawyers um, and, you know, finding it difficult to find the right legal help for mm-hmm. the, the particular issue that they're facing. Yeah, that that makes perfect sense. And I think even the point you made about investment um, is key because I read a lot about um, the fact that a lot of startups, their main pain point is trying to raise funding. And if they even get the opportunity to raise funds or find a VC that is interested, they have no idea to navigate that sort of legal minefield. So that makes Mm -hmm. makes a lot of sense. I also wanted to ask then, um, how have you found navigating the local legal landscape? Because obviously coming from the UK, um, that would have been a completely different um, experience for you, I can imagine. Yeah, um, well, I've had the benefit of, of traveling to Nigeria quite a lot Oh yeah, um, yeah. in my previous life um, mm. at Hogan Novels and working with a lot of Nigerian lawyers. Um, you know, I've had quite a few cases where um, Nigerian law has been um, relevant for one reason or another. It might be that the contract was governed by Nigerian law or that the, the arbitration itself is seated in Nigeria, meaning that certain Nigerian arbitration laws apply. Um, so I'm quite used to working quite closely with Nigerian lawyers. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, it was the, the relationships that I've built up with lawyers on the ground um, in a number of different countries that really gave me the confidence, you know, to, to know that actually, if I wanted to, to do this, I would have a network of really good lawyers that I could turn to in each of the jurisdictions that, you know, I want to cover. So really fortunate to have that network. And, um, you know, I mentioned the fact that I'm, I'm, people often assume I'm Nigerian, I let mm. it slide. One <laughs> of the things that happened in 2016 was that I was, um, unbeknownst to me, awarded a Rising Star um, Award <laughs> at, the, at the Nigerian... Oh. <laughs> Nigerian legal awards, um, despite not being a Nigerian lawyer. Yeah. <laughs> you know they'll just so, pay you anyway. So. <laughs> so it's, you know, that just goes to show, um, you know, I've been, I've I, I worked with a lot of people. They, right. they um, you know, hopefully have found me to be a nice person to work with as yeah. well. And so we've built great relationships. Um, so whenever I have an issue as to, you know, what the law is um, in Nigeria, how it differs from UK law, um, where I need to to tailor things slightly differently, uh, those lawyers are my go-to. I, you know, I wouldn't try to, you know, I, I, I wouldn't, um, you know, try to do things on my own. I'm not mm-hmm. Nigerian or qualified. And there are such good Nigerian lawyers out there. Mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't need to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, you're right. People thinking that you're Nigerian and even warding you. Um, it's definitely a a good indication of um the fact that you've been able to build relationships over the years yeah um so that that even 
to backtrack a little bit, thinking, looking um, practically at what you've done in order to get to this point. Because a lot of the time, like when people um, are talking about um, how they built things, um, many people still have questions about, okay, so how did you actually do it? Um, and so in this conversation, um, I noted that you ha- obviously have um, been a lawyer for quite a few years and you've built relationships. But in terms of actually, you know, from the beginning of the process, deciding this is what you wanted to do. Mm. Go about that. Um, well, it's funny. I actually have just finished doing an, um, an article with uh, my coach, um, who I actually hired at the time that I was thinking about taking this transition from corporate life to becoming an entrepreneur. Um, so let me start there. I very yeah. much was conscious that, you know, this was a big deal, especially if you've, you've built up a bank of not just knowledge, but also connections, goodwill within the organization right, that worked, right. you know. I, I knew that I was quite comfortable there and so that perhaps, you know, I wasn't as sharp on things as I might be because, I, you know, things are taken for granted. I've been in an organization for, you know, coming up to 10 years. Mm. Um, I had great prospects. So it, it certainly wasn't an easy decision. But I had um, sensed, I had, there was a growing sense of unease that I was feeling mm. um, about my myself in the role I knew that there were certain aspects of my work that I really loved and aspects that I really didn't and I was doing more and more of the stuff that I really didn't right right and and it was almost you know as you get more senior you have the opportunity to pick more of your work and it was almost that exercise of being able to say oh no I want to do more of this and more of that that made me realize that oh gosh yeah Mm. 10% of what I do is the stuff I really want to do Um, but the other thing that was a real big um, kick in the in the well I don't want to say this on the podcast but (laughs) which made a big difference yes (laughs) was having uh, my first child I um, took paternity leave Mm -hmm. um, in 2015 it was 2016 and that was really the first time that I had sort of fully switched off from work in mm. probably eight or nine years. Yeah. You know, when you're working in such a such a um, highly charged, you know, very com- competitive um, environment that where the hours are quite grueling. You know, mm. the work is incredibly challenging, so you're always operating um, at a really high level. You don't really have time to. to yeah, you never switch <laughs> off. Yeah. No, you know, you'll take a one week holiday, but that's not really enough for you to Mm-mm. probably switch off. Yeah. So um, that was the first time, really, that I had a chance to really assess where I was in my career in life, um, if it was taking me in the right direction, um, and you know what it what it was that I really wanted, and it was having having my son really made mm. a big difference because I would look at him and think, right. I want to make sure that whatever I do, I am being authentic. Um, I don't want him to ever feel that he has to stay in a job or do something that really doesn't quite work for him because of the expectations of others. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to make sure that he has the permission and he feels that he has the permission to really go for what he feels is right for him. And for me to do that, I've got to do that for myself. And so I knew at that point that, yeah, I can do this job. Yeah, I could, you know, continue, aim for partnership, um, be the first black partner at the firm, Mm. um, you know, be a great um, role model and also really push for the change that I really want to see. Um, But I know in my heart of hearts that that's not really what I want Mm. to do. And it was a really hard one because I remember thinking, actually, I, I want things to be better for those who are coming up behind me. And if I have the opportunity to, to make things better, I should do it. But then at the same time, it got to the point where I thought, well, I can't really look, you know, a young version of myself in the face and say, yeah, this is what you should do with your life. If right. that's not 
what I feel is right for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it was a difficult process. Yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of reflection. Um, but what I did do um, on the practical side of things was actually um, spend some time reading quite a few books on, um, you know, figuring out, you know, what's, what's the right thing for you to do. One of, the, one of the really good ones was Follow Your North Star by Martha Beck. But there are others. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, and those helped me to really get more in tune with my personality, my particular strengths, what my values are. And that helped me to get clarity over why it was that I wasn't happy in my position and what I needed to do to feel more in alignment with my values. I got a coach um, to help me explore whether, you know, I really needed to leave the firm or was it more a case of finding a slightly different role or making my role slightly, you know, different in some way. I spoke to my boss um, and other people in the firm, you know, senior people about, um, you know, whether there was a way that I could incorporate the things that I did love, which was a lot around innovation, legal technology, mm-hmm. a lot around building the Africa practice and a lot around diversity. Um, but the fact is that the business model of the law firm, like any other law firm, yeah. is set in a certain way. There's a certain yeah. Uh, amount of money that is um you know that I'm supposed to bring in every year uh reflected by billable hours and so anything I take Mm. away from that is um it doesn't really fit with the business model yes but I explored that um and then I thought you know quite hard about okay if I don't go ahead with if I don't stay with the firm then what do I want to do and spend a lot of time actually thinking about the business that I wanted to build the way I want it to work so that it I didn't end up in the same position where I was feeling just burnt out and uninspired Mm. you know building it in a way that was more in alignment with the with my values and the coach really helped me with that um and then taking the plunge but it's a lot easier when you have clarity over right you know over how you what who you are what your values are because it then becomes really easy for you to make decisions because you you know you can you can see straight away when something's just not right for you right that's and that's really important I'm really glad you touched on that um and and spent quite a, a, Mm. a bit of time on that because um a lot of the time especially nowadays we do see people you know taking the plunge and leaving their work and it does seem very sudden but what you've just described is literally having time for reflection and exploration um, before taking that step, which I think is very important and a lot of people need to hear. So thank you for that. Oh, great. So, um, yeah, so, okay, so then you've got to the point where now you are essentially an entrepreneur so going from being a lawyer to an entrepreneur and um I noted from um just I've been doing you describe yourself as a legalpreneur so I wanted Mm. to delve into that a bit more what does that actually mean to you because Mm. um being a lawyer and being an entrepreneur are completely different and there are different skill sets but also there are some um skill sets that um are quite similar and crossover so it would be good to hear your opinion on that okay well I think the way I see it is that being an entrepreneur is um rather than it being a sort of career choice Mm. I feel like it's it's a personality type right okay it's something that um it, it just I feel is something that is natural um to certain people you know you've got to have a level of um of uh, risk appetite Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people don't have Mm -hmm. Uh, you've got to be very optimistic in your outlook in life in that you see the good in things and you see the positive um, outcomes way more than you see the negative one Mm -hmm. Um, you've got to be really forward-looking quite um, interested in the future and how uh, you know your vision for the future and how things can be better or, or done better um, and that's really connected to innovation as well um, and I noticed that I have a lot of those traits um, mm. the things that really excited me about my particular um, work at the firm were all around innovation or right. improving things slightly 
or thinking about how a, a problem could be solved in a, you know, in a new and different way that others hadn't thought about. Increasing efficiency. Um, you know, I was always pushing for us to do things in a different and better way. Mm-hmm. And I, I noticed quite quickly that a lot of other people were pushing, you know, were really quite uncomfortable with that. Mm. And I was always knocking heads with them. And I think, yeah, and I think you rightly identified the difference between lawyers and entrepreneurs generally is around uh, the fact that many lawyers are risk adverse, mm. um, especially if you end up in a corporate role. You know, that's, a, that's the most comfortable position. Yeah. <laughs> you stay in the same firm, you know, it's very um, predictable income. You can even look it up online. You'll know mm-hmm. what you're getting in 10 years time. You right. know, it's just, it's very comfortable. It's very, um, it's very safe. Um, and so it does attract perhaps a, a certain type of personality, um, which, you know, is, is, is not typically an entrepreneur. Right. Um, but uh, as I said, as I think that I think that entrepreneurship is often part of someone's personality, mm-hmm. it is possible to find entrepreneurs in any walk of life, you know, in every industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say that a lawyerpreneur, which is how I see myself, is simply someone who um, is a lawyer, but like an entrepreneur has a desire to really improve the work that they do Mm. so the delivery of legal services through innovation you know they're able to see um, a future where things are done better and they Mm -hmm. want to try and bring that future um, into reality Um, and so I include people like myself who go out to start a new um, legal business doing things in a slightly different way but also those who stay within the firm and try to be pioneers of change right within inside yeah. exactly so um, your typical entrepreneur mm-hmm. but um, you know I counted myself as one of those for a long time within the mm-hmm. firm um, and it was great I really enjoyed that work but it got to the point where I think I realized that I should be doing more of that yeah um, but yeah, so that's that's what I mean uh, mm. when I say lawyerpreneur, and and I really think that now with the technological advances that we're seeing, the internet penetration rates just rising rapidly throughout mm. the world, it really is a great time for us to really think creatively about how we can better deliver legal services so yes. that more people have access to it, not just the large corporates, but you know, yeah, everyone. Because the law belongs to us all. Exactly. It's not not the preserve of lawyers or corporates. We're all expected to know what the law is and to abide by it. But if you don't have the means to get good representation or um, advice, then, you know, you really are hamstrung. Right, exactly, exactly. Um, And I think that point leads perfectly onto my my next question, which is about incorporating technology into the service that you provide. Um, And I know that's what you are aiming towards, which is having a tech-enabled service. So could you sort of delve into that and describe exactly how you'll be doing that? Sure. Um, So what was important to me was... um, being able to provide really high quality legal services, the same quality that I was providing to my multinational right. corporate clients, but obviously at a much more in a much more accessible and affordable way. And technology is the way that um, technology is the way that I've been able to do that. So in terms of accessibility, going online, delivering services online mm. um, means instantly you know, you're accessible to anybody in the world with an internet connection. Right. Um, whether it's on their mobile or on the on the laptop or whatever. Um, it means that they can reach you wherever they are in the world um, 24-7. So that was important. Um, the second aspect around affordability is achieved through really um, putting, systemizing, if you like, a lot of the legal service delivery and right. expertise. So... There are a couple of things that that we've done. The most important one really has been all around trying to capture our legal expertise into into software, Mm. which essentially means that rather than having to uh, deliver legal services in the traditional way, which is by the hour, you know, one on one, we sit down and I will do this work for you, um, which obviously is very expensive. we're trying to move to a one-to-many approach whereby the lawyer, all of your expertise goes into a software system, which is then accessible by multiple people at the same time. Mm -hmm. 
meaning you can bring down the cost of mm-hmm. that particular service. So some of the software, um, just by way of example, um, that we've created um, are contract creation tools. Um, and these are more sophisticated than some than the sort of templates that, that people may have seen in the sense that this, when we're sitting down with a client and trying to figure out, trying to draft or create a contract that works for their business, there are a set of um, questions that you would t- typically ask. And it's, it's not that these questions are all set down in a list. It's just you as a lawyer, having worked for so long, um, you know, know what the issues are that they face and know what questions to ask. And as they answer your questions, um, they alert you to different things that might be relevant for right. them that you then ask. Right. Um, and so... Typically, what you would find is that, you know, an experienced lawyer, because they've got all of this knowledge in their head, will have this one hour um, consultation with a client, get all the information they need and produce a great contract on Mm -hmm. the, you know, but then to really try and systemize that, what we've done is go uh, to basics and really set out in in detail, create a really detailed decision tree. Um, where we actually spell out all of the different issues that might be relevant. Right. Um, okay. you know, if you answer yes to this, then we have to consider that. If you right. answer no to okay. this, then we consider that. So mm-hmm. it's a really, I mean, it was a real nightmare to create this, <laughs> as you can imagine. Right, yeah. A beast. But it's doable, you yeah. know. And once you put that, that, all of that information down, however long it takes, it's, it's done. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's just simply a matter of getting some very clever um computer programmer yeah to um create a software around it um and then eventually the next step is to incorporate um machine learning you know right. you want to use ai to make these things even more intuitive yeah so that um we're creating something which can then be accessed by you know millions of people online mm-hmm. um so that's one of them. The next one, which I'm really quite excited about because it's it's around dispute resolution. And that's obviously what yeah, I that is to you. do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this one is all about helping people to figure out what their rights are. So a lot of the time, someone will say wow. to me, oh, this person has um, done this. They haven't paid that or they haven't, you know, they've, they've, something has gone wrong. Yeah. And they're not quite sure. Like, what can I do? Um, they don't really want to sue them in court because the thought of that just scares them. It's, like, mm. well, it's going to cost a lot of money, take a lot of time, but I need to know what, what my rights are. I need to at least know what I can tell them or, you know. And so what I've created, again, through an expert system is a way that people can quite quickly figure out what their rights are and then um, have a letter generated that they can send to the other party telling okay. them, you know, this is a situation contract said this you've done that this is the breach this is my loss as a result of of your breach um let's um you know pay or let's talk about right. you know you're going to pay so I just think, to yeah. facilitate that discussion so people can hopefully so reach, yeah reach a, a negotiated settlement without having to go to court but from an informed position yeah yeah and do you know this the reason why this is so exciting as well because a lot of these things I'm sure you would agree are very basic especially from the perspective of you know somebody that comes from um say the legal uh, legal landscape here in the UK they are very basic but again like you said it's all about access and and making these things um more accessible and even intuitive um makes it so simple and like but the effects of it um, can be huge so which which is what really excites me about incorporating this type of technology so that mm-hmm. that that sounds amazing um and even with the resolution side of things um oh, um I'm from Ghana but I do hear a lot of the time like people saying oh this person's done this to me and all they can really do is complain because they don't have the um the tools to really articulate what the issues are so yeah. I think that really will close that gap and could really be powerful so that is exciting well I'm so glad to hear that that I'm always um, keen to get feedback um, as I mentioned initially yeah. the feedback was not very encouraging right but I feel like <laughs> I feel like after that painful process I've now hit upon the things that actually will make a difference that people mm-hmm. really want so it's great to hear that, that that's your view as well yeah yeah that's amazing um I guess 
my final question then is really just um, summarizing everything that we've just spoken about. Um, what really would be your advice to others like yourself within the diaspora, especially those who are professionals, um, lawyers, um, consultants, investment bankers, etc., who were in a similar position to you whereby they've got to a point in their career where they find that they want to use their professional skills in a different way, in a more innovative way, and, specific, and particularly as well, possibly um, within Africa. What advice would you give to them for starting businesses? Um, that's a good question. And I feel like I'm still very much on that journey. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, I haven't, I haven't cracked it by any means. But I think um, it's important to, to recognise that the skills that we've gained um, and experience that we've gained here in the UK or, you know, elsewhere in the diaspora, um, it's quite unique to that place. Um, it's not always going to be the case that it's readily transferable to right. the next place, whether That's it's a good Africa point. or yeah. anywhere else. So um, one of the things that I realized early on that was that, yeah, okay, people paid a lot of money for my expertise in London, but actually in Kenya, in Nigeria, that's not really where the needs are. Right, <laughs> that's a really um, good point. Yeah. And so being, you know, having at the forefront of your mind always the fact that, you know, you want to make sure that you're in a position to add value. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. to do that, you need to really understand the problems that people have first and, and the, the sorts of solutions that you can provide. So going in thinking, oh, well, I've been doing this for you know 10 right. years and people yeah. love it here um is is not perhaps the best approach i would say um go in with an open mind actually figure out i'll talk to people find out what needs they actually have first right yeah. and then devise your proposed solution and test it you know the markets are not they're not the same and the needs are, are not the same mm -hmm. um so yeah, go through that process. But you know, it's it's not difficult. It's actually quite easy to do. Um, it just takes a bit of time and thought, and for you to have a really open mind and be willing to start from scratch and mm -hmm. back to, go back to basics. Yeah, no, I, I love that point that you made. Um, I think a lot of the time, a lot of us, you know, we've got these qualifications and like we've been studying for years and we've got the experience. I think it's very easy to get into a position where you think, well. Um, you know, like I'm, I, I'm doing great here. I can do great elsewhere. But starting yeah. from scratch, like you said, and really understanding on what the problem you're solving and what the pain points are, mm -hmm. and understanding the solution you can bring is very key. So yeah, I love that point. Thank you. All right. But um, yeah. So I think I think that's all. I think we've got so much from this conversation. So thank you so much. Um, is there anything else you wanted to add? Any? Uh... No, just. Thank you very much for having me. Um, if anyone, if anyone else wants to um, find out more about Strand Sahara, yeah. we're at strandsahara.com. Um, and yes, thank you. Thanks for having me on. It's been a really great conversation.